Some of you have um, heard me tell of the days long ago when I ministered in the town of Lake Jackson, and um, Haas is here, he can confirm a lot of this, that there was, a, there was a string of churches, a little ecumenical gathering of five churches along Center Way, and uh, not Center Way, that was very unfortunate, but Center, as in the uh, center of the universe, or the uh, center of a Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Pop, and there, right there on Center Way, if you came from the freeway, you would go past uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Church of Christ, Baptist, and then uh, Episcopal, a little further up the way. And right, right along that, that stretch were all of us, and, and I got to know some of the folks in those uh, different churches, and when I was there long ago, my friend Alan was the... Um, the Presbyterian minister, and one day he came over to the office to drink coffee, and I could tell he was very tired, and I said, why are you so tired, Alan? And he said, we're preparing for our uh, quarterly communion service. Now, you see, one of the things you learn when you have a little ecumenical gathering like that is that people do things in different ways. And um, I encouraged him to go up to the weekly schedule, because I said, then it doesn't have to be as special, and uh, you can just you know, work it in, it all, it all works together, but he said, oh, he said, this is different doing communion here in America, he said, uh, see, Alan was English, and so he remembered uh, when he was a minister in England, and he said, in, in England, he said, the people would come in for miles off their deathbed to partake of the communion, I mean, they would, they would literally be five heartbeats away from death, just wanting the communion at that point. And he goes, but not here, not here. And I've never forgotten that story after all those years because it, it shows you how there's a group of people that even if the communion, maybe it's you know because they only did it once a quarter that they felt so desperate for it, but I don't think that the frequency had anything to do with it. They viewed communion as crucial to their connection to God and this is where I'm thankful that I don't create the instructions for how we're supposed to do worship and that God has got this covered because I, I wouldn't do it right I know that sometimes we get into sort of a laziness around the Lord's Supper we say the same things, we mean the same thing. Our heart might be in the right place, but we just sort of go through the motions. I mean, I would take it away from us for a few months and just see how much we really want it, you know. You're not doing this right. We're just going to take a break for a few months, and then, then we can start doing communion again. It probably wouldn't work. Because as, as, as soon as I had an idea to do something like that, you know, some of you would just rebel and, you go like, well, you know what, we're just going to go get some Welch's grape juice and some Ritz crackers and we'll do it ourselves. Because there's nothing special about it. You don't need me to bless it. I don't have to dip my pinky finger in the Welch's to make it holy, for which you're very thankful and rightly so. Uh, even though I do that every week, just to be sure. And uh, <laughs> not true, not, not true. I, I wouldn't do that to you. See, and, th and this is why I'm very thankful that I don't have to make these decisions because I wouldn't get it right. But I know that 
I know this. I know all of us want this communion to not become. We, we, I, for just once, I want somebody to ask me, you know, why do we, why do we uh, uh, take communion weekly? And I want to have the presence of mind to be able to say, I don't know, why do we take it weekly? Like it's a joke, you know, like, uh, like there's a punchline coming. There, there, there's reasons, there's reasons. It's biblical, it's the Lord's day, it's the first day of the week, we assemble. Uh, Acts 27, read it, 20 verse 7, read it for yourself. There's good reason. It's what we do when we come together on the Lord's day, is we have a meal, we share a meal, and it's the Lord's supper, and he's invited us to it. Now, doing that every week, I know that each and every one of us, we want that to be special. We want that to be meaningful. And I will tell you this, it doesn't just happen by accident. But at the same time, it's not dependent on me or you or Brent or anybody else to make this special and important. There's not a mood-setting task that needs to happen within the the, the worship participants that, that, that make uh, the communion very meaningful in some way. We, we don't get to dress this up with different, um, you know, with different styles. Otherwise, we could just have different venues when you walk in here and we could have a maitre d' out there asking you, would you prefer your communion to be sort of enlivened and more thanksgiving or would you prefer more serene and thoughtful? If you want serene and thoughtful, you can go right this way. If you want enlivened and excited, you can go over here. And, and again, all of those, does, you know, that communion ought to be this, that communion ought to be that. They are all preferences, each and every one of them. One's not right, one's not wrong. They are all preferences. Communion has a meaning. And I think if we go and we look at the communion of Jesus with his disciples, we find that meaning and we're asked and invited and drawn into it. And by the way, this won't be the last word on this in Luke. We're going to come back to it in Luke 24, and I think in a way that we don't expect. But we'll save that for a few weeks. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 22. You can read along if you want. If your Bible's online and you're not getting on to the uh, Wi-Fi, it's because we have a password now. Because uh, our, our neighbors have been downloading uh, some, I don't know, somebody's been downloading something illegal. So, um, you know, somebody said, is it any of you? I said, no, our people don't do that. And uh, not because I think you're honest, but because it, it, I don't think you're smart enough. But the, uh, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. The, the, uh, <laughs> that's terrible password is in your newsletter. If you haven't read your newsletter, then you definitely need to repent. All right, uh, Luke chapter 22 is this most important word about how crucial the Lord's Supper is. Starting in verse 1, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and they found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, which is poured out for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would give us listening hearts and listening ears that these words that we've read, words that are so, so important and crucial to the faith that we practice, to being a disciple of Jesus, that your gospel writers have recorded it, Paul has recorded it. This has been kept for generations and centuries. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the meaning, the message of it. And Father, most of all, we would see Jesus and we would know Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. What's going on here, before we even talk about Lord's Supper, is Passover. While this is happening, it is Passover. A very important remembrance and observance in the life of Jesus and his disciples. The, the, the setup and the preparation for, for Passover in Jerusalem on the day when the lamb for the Passover is being sacrificed, it's not accidental. Luke's remembering that. The other gospel writers have remembered that. This is one of the, this is not an area of, of vast debate in early Christianity. This happened and there's a lot of clarity on how it happened and the fact that it happened at Passover that's not just accidental. It means something. It would have been very typical for a rabbi and his students, a teacher and his students to observe the Passover together and that's exactly what Jesus wants to do with them. He's eagerly desired it. Why? Does he just want to have one good sentimental moment with all of them before he suffers? He might want to have this very important time together to remember God, certainly. But is there more that he wants? Is there more that he desires? At a Passover feast, which by the way, Passover is never anything that you can do on your own. They don't make travel Passover kits so that you can go and just take it by yourself 
in the loneliness of your hotel room in Jerusalem on Passover night. It doesn't make sense. Passover is meant to be shared with others. Because there's conversations and teaching that are very important to Passover. That Passover is about remembering what God has done. And the rabbis for generations before Jesus even would repeat the words of Exodus and Deuteronomy where God in giving them this Passover observance tells them there's going to come a day when your children are going to ask you why are we doing things the way we're doing things? Why are we doing this? And your answer is going to be because we're remembering God's steadfast love and what he did to save us and the cost that was involved. They didn't get to answer that question however they wanted. The answer to that question was not, ah, be quiet, don't bother me right now, I'm meditating. I'll tell you when you're a little bit older. In fact, the question was encouraged. What's this all about? Most nights we eat ordinary bread. Tonight the bread's all flat. Most nights we, we eat vegetables, but this night the vegetables are bitter. Some nights we can eat you know, fried meat, whatever meat. Tonight all the meat's roasted. What is going on here? Why is this different? And in fact, over the centuries, the, the back and forth became kind of a, um, almost like a skit, a rehearsed procedure which doesn't mean that it's meaningless I can't tell you how many weddings I've done now I've done a lot and you know what I, I got a secret for all of you that I, I've done your wedding it's pretty much the same script I'm sorry to tell you that but it is if you're thinking that I gave you a very special script I'm sorry to tell you no but but here's the reason why because there's not much more to it than that and just because it's rehearsed and, and I, I expect you to answer when I say, do you promise? Do you promise? I do, I do. That doesn't mean it's meaningless. I and everyone there expects you to keep those promises. And so it is with Passover when we gather around. Asking that question is very important. Why is it so important? So that we don't forget. The things that they would remember, the verses that they would go to, you'll find it in Exodus 12 and Exodus 13. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. That's the Passover. Year after year, this meaning would be emphasized again. Remember what God did. And as the generations moved on further and further away from that first Passover, they still remembered just as vividly that God delivered them and rescued them from slavery in Egypt and in fact every generation was told to respond to the younger ones to the students to the children to the ones who ask about it you respond to them as if you yourself were one of those who walked right out of Egypt because of God's powerful hand leading you out in chapter 13 the Lord says to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. Right there in the midst of this Passover dialogue about 
how to do the Passover and what the Passover means. The Lord says, dedicate to me the firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both the humans and the animals. They all belong to me. And so Moses said to the people, this is a day to remember forever. It's because the way that God rescues his people is to shake Pharaoh to the core by sending the destroyer who will take the firstborn. It's, it's, a, it's a drastic move. It's awe-inspiring. If that unsettles you a bit, and if you're, if you're thinking, wow, I, don't, I can't believe that that happened. Well, you believe it. It's not meant to sit well with us. It's just what it means for God to move with a powerful hand. But he spares the Israelites. That means that there's something, some sort of dedication that has to come about because of this. If our lives have been spared, then what do they mean? What are they about? And so at that Passover meal, over and over again, the Israelite families would explain, in the words of Moses to the people, you must explain to your children, I am celebrating what the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. 700 years later, you have this person saying, I wasn't one of those who left Egypt. What am I supposed to say? You say it as if you were. Because you might as well be. You wouldn't be here saying this if God hadn't acted to deliver your forefathers. Let it remind you always to recite this teaching of the Lord. With a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. That was their story that they told. That was the story that they told about who they were. That they were the people rescued by God. And so now we come generations later, after the event, to another 14th day of the month of Nisan, the, the, the festival of the unleavened bread. And here's Jesus and his disciples, and he's eagerly looked forward to having this Passover meal with them. At the time of Jesus, based on the teaching of the rabbis, it seems pretty clear that during that entire ceremony, and it was very structured at that point, there would be four cups of wine served. And every time you served a cup of wine, it was, it was an opportunity to give thanks, to recite verses, and to tell stories. After the second cup of wine, that is the point at which the youngest in the room, the child or the student, asks that question, just like it's written in Exodus. Why is this night different? It's after the second cup that the teaching, the instruction, the story is, begins. The teaching and instruction begins, and, it's, and that teaching and instruction becomes from telling the story. Telling the story of the Exodus, it's remembered. And it's not just remembered as if they're remembering facts, but it's remembered as if they are integrating it and cherishing it, and they are observing it. And they're remembering who they are, and they're remembering who God is, and they're remembering what their purpose in this world is. And that if they were spared, unlike all the other firstborn in Egypt, they were spared and they were saved and they were rescued for a purpose. 
So if you've ever noticed, Luke has what seems to be a cup, and then bread, and then another cup. And maybe you haven't wanted to admit that that's like that, because after years of seeing how we do it, where we know very well it's bread and cup, and if you get those reversed, you have to do two communions to make up for that because it just canceled one of them. So you have to get it back the right way. And oh my, here comes Luke, and he's got cup, bread, cup. What is going on here? And if you're thinking, you know, hey, maybe that is good news. Maybe we could do cup and bread, and that'd kind of jazz it up a bit. Woo, we're getting crazy now. Um, that's not necessary, I'll tell you that. I think Luke is, is remind, remember, Luke is saying, this is Passover. This is the second cup. Because the third cup is after the bread. I can't prove that 100%, but I think it's very possible. And it also makes sense that that would be that cup, because at that cup, Jesus is telling them about the, the He's telling them about the kingdom, and he won't, he won't drink of this cup again. He won't eat of this meal again until the kingdom comes. So in many ways, this first part is the last supper. But it's not the last supper so that we tend to think of uh, Da Vinci's painting and who's there and, and what goes on. It's the last supper because Jesus says, this is the last time we get to do this until all of this work is finished. The first Passover was preparation for God to reach out with a strong hand and rescue his people. And Jesus will not eat or drink of this meal again until the kingdom is firmly and finally established. He knows this. They don't. They think that the kingdom coming in is going to be the renewal of their political hopes. It's going to be the renewal of good old Israel, the way it used to be, the way we read about in the Bible. King David kicked those Romans out. That's right. Time to see Israel lifted up on high and better than anyone else. But they don't understand the kingdom that Jesus has been teaching them. So at this moment, after the second cup, where the question hanging in the air is, why is this different? What's unique about this? Jesus says, what's unique about this is this is the last time I'm going to share this with you until the kingdom is really here. And then he goes on. Because after that second cup, they would have taken bread. Now the teaching begins. Luke says Jesus takes bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it, and he gives it. This Passover meal is not just a chance for Jesus to kind of collect himself because he's, he's, he's thinking, whew, this is going to be hard. I better get together. I just want to have one good sentimental moment. Maybe we can get a photo together because it's going to be so tough. No, he's going to have his moment of gathering his strength in the garden. At this moment, his focus is on them. You remember from John's account, he's already washed their feet. He wants to have this moment with them because he's thinking about them. They are like his children, his disciples, his students. And he's got to make sure that they remember what God is about to do and never forget it. 
So he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it. And that's going to be important when we get to chapter 24, because that's going to happen again. And those are the exact same verbs that you would have read in Luke chapter 9 when he feeds the multitudes. He takes, he gives, he breaks, he gives. And he says to them something that they would not have normally heard at Passover. This bread, this is my body given for you. That's, that for you is something you're supposed to remember. Just like the blood was put on the doorpost at Passover. So that you, the firstborn, so that you, God's firstborn children, would be saved and rescued and set aside for a purpose. This body of Christ is given for you for a purpose. You know, sometimes we, we tend to read that and we think, we kind of have a, a moment of relief where we say, Jesus died for me. I didn't have to do it. He died for me. Whew, that's good. That's justification. That means that God made you right. Jesus made you right with God. But did you know that there's so much more to it than that? That his body given for you is given for you to have a future, for you to have a purpose, for you to live a meaningful life that glorifies him. That's sanctification. That means you've been set aside, you've been set apart. Think about who's there at that meal. Those disciples who they're going to have so many trials and hard things come their way. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be chased down. Some of them are going to give their lives. And you know what? They're going to be wildly happy about it the whole time because they're going to see it as a great adventure. They have been given a new kind of life. So when that body was given for them, it's new. Same way then with this cup. He takes the cup and he says, divide it, which means share it. You're linked to one another. But also with the blood, my blood, there's a new covenant at work here. This blood's been poured out for you so that you might be made holy, so that you might have a purpose, so that you might live for him, so that you might glorify him. And what they would have heard in that is Exodus 24. Where in Exodus 24, this is, this is an amazing story. This really, if you want to know where the first communion was, you might find it here. I know it's not the same as the communion with Jesus. But don't you think it probably participates in this? Moses offers a sacrifice. He takes the blood from the basins. He splatters it all over the people. And he says, look. This blood. They said, what? He's, he's splattering blood on people? Yeah. He's saying, this should be your blood, but instead it's going to be, it's, 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 another, it's another's blood in your place. And it confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. It's sealing an agreement, a relationship. And then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. And there they saw the God of Israel. 
and they're sitting around this level surface. It's just like, it's, all, it's, like, it's like glass, it's like crystal, and they're there. And they gaze upon God, and he doesn't destroy them, just like that blood over the doorpost protected them from God's holiness, from the destroyer. There they are, up there in the presence of God, and they're not destroyed. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. They go up to God's mountain, and they sit down at his feet, and they packed a lunch. They have a meal, a dinner. And it's not just Cliff Bars and Gatorade that they're up there munching down on. This is a banquet. This is a feast. This is to commemorate the fact that now, with this blood, they have a covenant with this God. The covenant that God made with Abraham. The relationship, the deep relationship Tell me, does that sound like they have been set aside for a purpose? Does that sound like they've been set aside to live a very new kind of life? Yeah. So that means that they have to pass this on and tell this to every generation. And now, here is Jesus telling his followers, his disciples. He's saying, guys, we're going to go up the mountain all over again, just like Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the other leaders did. My blood is going to be the blood that splattered all over you, poured out for you. My body is going to be broken for you. And because of that, you are going to be the ones close to God, carrying out his purposes. And that's what we read about in the book of Acts. That's what we see in the first century. And yet each one of them passes that on. So much so that now here you and I are. And we are not the recipients of this covenant meal. We haven't, what have we done today on this first day of the week? We haven't just had this covenant meal so that we can just stop for a moment and say, Wow, I'm glad that we have fire insurance and don't have to burn in hell. I wish the preacher would wrap it up then so that we can go on about our lives since we've been saved and do the things that we need to do because... God took care of the afterlife, but I've still got bills to pay. That's not how it works. It's crucial that we remember. And you know, I, I just want to invite you that when we come around the Lord's Supper table, there's so much more than we can do in remembering than just recalling facts. That's where we start. Israel started by telling a story. They told a story. And how much that story must have meant when you heard it as a little child and then as you got older, that story takes on more and more richness. And now you see the story not just as the little child who's being saved out of Egypt by a powerful God or maybe the firstborn who's protected, but now you see it as the father who knows what it means to have a firstborn child and that child is spared. Just think about how much more the communion means to us as we go through our life, and then how much more we have to say and how much more we have to share. How many communions have been held right here in this gathering place? And how many people have been a part of it? And how many of those people are still a part of it? And on the other side, in glory, they're telling us, keep remembering what this is about. And as we sit here at communion and sometimes we look at this as our weekly check-in to come and tell God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 
I'm sorry. Well, if all communion is for us, if all communion is for you, is that moment where you show up and say, I just want you to know I'm sorry that Jesus had to die for my wretched sinfulness. I wish I could have been a better person and that didn't have to happen. I just very bluntly but kindly want to say to you, God doesn't want that apology. He doesn't. Because that apology is not necessary. If this is our moment that we think that we're supposed to come here and beg for forgiveness all over again, then you're certainly wasting your time. God is not a petty tyrant in the sky. And I don't think we say this enough because people tend to think this. That God's a bit capricious. He has sensitive feelings. He gets hurt a lot. They sinned again, and I'm mad at them. Here they come, God. They're all gathered around. Oh, well, you said sorry, and you brought flowers. All right, I'll forgive you this week. You church. That, that's not God. You don't have to beg forgiveness because the forgiveness has already been given. That's what Jesus is doing with those disciples. My, my body, it's broken for you. Oh, but Jesus, we didn't ask you to do that. I know. And the thing is, <laughs> you don't even know to ask. But I'm doing this for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Oh, Jesus, we didn't ask for that. No, and you wouldn't even know to ask for it. And you don't even know that that's necessary. But I'm doing it for you. You have the forgiveness. Now, what you and I need to ask is, what is the forgiveness for? If the forgiveness is so that we can just go about and play and have fun, then we've missed something in communion. This is our opportunity every Lord's Day to repeat the story of God's rescue. By the way, the Passover is not, I think this is important, the Passover is not a sacrifice of atonement. You think, whoa, what is he getting at now? What's he talking you know, there was a sacrifice every year in Israel, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Okay. There was a sacrifice, and there the sacrifice was meant to atone for the sins of all the people once a year. The Passover sacrifice does not do that. The Passover sacrifice is a peace offering. It is an offering that marks the covenant. And it is the offering that remembers what God did at great cost to rescue his people Take them out of slavery, bring them to a land where they would have a life and an identity and the purpose of worshiping him and being an example to all nations. So this is not, when you and I come to communion, this is not just our, oh, I'm sorry moment to say I'm sorry. This is where we remember you and I have been called for the greatest purpose on earth. You and I have been called for the greatest purpose in the universe, and, and, and it, it had to do with Jesus giving himself so how can we give anything less and it has to do with you and I renewing and remembering and telling one another you remember that covenant that God made with us you remember that covenant that Jesus made with us yeah so if you're down this week and you don't think that that anything's going to work out remember you got a covenant with the creator you've got a covenant with the savior you've been rescued you've been saved why are you hopeless you've been saved what are you worrying about you've been saved why do you have to give in and indulge yourself on your own desires, your own passions, your own interests, even your own self-righteousness? You've been saved. You've been rescued. Keep the covenant and expect that new kingdom 
where you're going to get a seat at the table with the one who said, I'm not having this meal again until everybody's there. The sacrifice of Jesus, his willing sacrifice, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His willing sacrifice is the beginning of the new covenant. We are being saved. So I want to leave you with three questions. How do you live in gratitude and respect of that rescue? If there's anybody worrying about it or is like, I don't know, did God save me? Could God save me? Uh, the answer is, yes, he has saved you. Yes, he can. And we're kind of past that. All you have to do is accept that rescue. You know, when we're baptized into Christ, and, that, and your baptism may be a past tense event or it may be a future tense event, whatever it is, I hope it's just an event in your life. You're always welcome to be baptized into Christ if you believe that he is who he says he is. That was the moment that you, that you experienced and held on to and claimed and accepted that salvation. Somebody's always going to say at that point, but wait a second, if we do that, then isn't that works righteousness? Those of you who've had heart surgery, open heart surgery, understand this. There's no way, you know, and we're all praying for our, 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 uh, our friend and our shepherd, Michael, who's going to have uh, heart surgery this week. You know what Michael's role is in that? To be sick and weak and just receive it. I mean, he would tell you that. And that's the way, is there, who can brag about their heart surgery? Boy, you ought to see the way I laid there and let them open me up. Mm, I was the best patient in the world. I earned that. No, you didn't. You received it as a gift. Second question. If we have this covenant, then who do we share it with? Do we share it? You know, one of the ways that we learn evangelism is in doing what we do here. If communion is so much of an individual exercise that we want everybody else to go away, then why do we think we're going to be evangelistic if that's the way we remember God's covenant? Don't talk to me. Go away. I don't want anybody here. I remember there's a church in Switzerland where they, they put up stalls in the pews so that nobody would be distracted. Some of us are thinking, and I, I've been one of those, and I'm thinking, boy, that sounds good. I want my own private room. Yeah. But that's not how it works. Passover is meant to be eaten with the family. We, sh we learn to share God's grace with one another, and then we learn to share it with others. Final question, what is your hope? What is the hope that gets you going every day? What is the hope that keeps you going? I, I will say this. As a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, you can list a lot of things that you hope in, and it's okay. You know, it, maybe you're trying to pay off bills, and you hope that you're going to get them all paid off. Praise God, that's great. Do it with purpose. Maybe you hope that you're going to, you know, overcome some addiction. Praise God, do it with purpose. Maybe you hope that you're going to learn more about His Word, and you're going to spend more time studying. Praise God. But all of our hopes ultimately lead to the fact that there is real hope in a new kingdom because of Jesus Christ. Now, what's challenging is you have to connect that big ultimate hope to our everyday hopes. But just know this, it's still there because every single day we're getting closer to that kingdom and we want everybody to come along with us. Let's stand, let's sing this song and if we can encourage anybody, we have elders here to pray. Uh, we'll be glad to talk to you about baptism or anything else that you want to talk about. Let's stand and sing.